1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to TheAwesomeMode.com NFL Strategy Show, Wednesday, October 21st. And I'm Dave Lochran. With me, as always, Matt Gajeski, Kyle Dvorak, taking a look, a first look, at our first run of ownership and stacks on this Week 7 slate. We're happy to have all of you guys with us, as always. Hit that thumbs up and subscribe if you haven't done so yet. You've heard me say this, we're, uh, you know, trying to build up the subscriber base and 42% of the people that watch this show still don't subscribe. So if you haven't done so yet, write that wrong. Join us. Hit the notification bell as well so you always know when new content's going to drop next. Kyle, I said to Matt before the show got started uh, that it feels like this could be a week with really flat ownership. And as it stands right now, we know, disclaimer, Ownership will will absolutely adjust throughout the week. Uh, you will see a lot of moving parts here, and it is always going to be in flux. It's more accurate the closer we get to Sunday. But as it stands right now, and this is way different from any other week, there's nobody at any position projected for north of 21% ownership.
3: Yeah, this is – I'm looking at quarterback, too. We have no one projected over, I believe, 8.3 is our yeah. highest quarterback – like this is a this is the ultimate uh, the blender slate where you just play whoever the hell you want because you're not going to be eating a ton of chalk so i think this is maybe a slate that uh it will be almost the most different as opposed to every other week we've at least had some amount of chalk coming in like last week everyone wanted to play Alexander Madison Derek Henry and i think the Madison play didn't work out it made some sense Derek Henry obviously just absolutely ate my lunch maybe this is a slate where, yeah, you don't have to get different. Your cash game might not look too strategically different from your tournament builds with the caveat that I'm probably still stacking way more in my tournaments. Yeah. This is going to be a different slate, maybe more so than any other one.
1: Matt last week, if you look at the uh, $500,000 slant on DraftKings, uh, and we break all of this down on our Monday, Monday, uh, Monday morning quarterback show. So check that out. Adam share, Josh Ingram and myself, Uh, we take a look over everything that happened for the week, break down the winning lineups and what we can apply for the following week. There were 11 players, one of them a defense, the Dolphins, but still 11 overall uh, that came in with 20 plus percent ownership, three of them north of 25 percent and one, two, three, four, five, six, and nine above 23. So there wasn't any mega chalk. There wasn't any week one Boston Scott chalk, right? But there was definitely... Uh, there were definitely a lot of players that were getting a good amount of attention. I wouldn't be surprised this week if there's a whole lot less than that. And you just have a ton of players scattered in between that, like 10 to 19% range.
2: Yeah. There's six games with a total at 50 or higher. So we saw this a couple of weeks ago, but in that week we just had Dallas in like the nuts spot of all time. So they came in with high ownership and this week, I don't think we have that, you know, like Seattle and Arizona play each other. Those are both great spots. Detroit and Atlanta play each other. Those are both great spots. You know, Houston, Green Bay, again, both great spots. So I I think you're right that we might see ownership come in a little more condensed, at least on some of these good plays, but still flat between them.
1: So stick with you, Matt, here, and we can jump right into it. There are a few spots that I feel pretty confident will change throughout the week. We're going to talk chalk first. Uh, If you're new to DFS, if you're just coming across the channel, number one, welcome. Number two, Uh, chalk is very simply just you know the popular plays this week Uh, the plays that are more appealing for cash doesn't mean they're not gpp viable oftentimes they very much are and sometimes to get away from that you just come in way overweight but uh the chalk this week if there is any starting off at the running back position you've got a few guys that uh, and we're going to talk pivots and, and top stacks as well but uh, you've got a few guys here that are that are above 20%. I'll throw Alvin Kamara in there at 19% as well. But when you when you view the top of the position from Kamara to Elliott to Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Kareem Hunt, uh, even James Conner. Not saying all of them are great plays, Derrick Henry, a very difficult matchup against Pittsburgh, but I could make a fantastic argument that Kamara or Elliott or Jones or Kareem Hunt or James Connor. Could easily be in the the winning lineup, the millimaker winning lineup this week. And I'm just literally reading down the list of the top-priced guys at running back.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're all in great spots, too, at least most of them. And the ones that aren't, you know, like Derek Henry, you mentioned him, maybe not in the greatest spot, but he is the volume to back it up still. So I think he's viable there. You get guys that have disappointed in recent weeks, like Kareem Hunt. He heads to Cincinnati. That's a fantastic spot. So there's a lot of reasons to like these guys, maybe that haven't even performed well. And I think that's why we will see some ownership, maybe a little bit flatter. I mean, I'm looking at the list too. There's like maybe a dozen running backs that, that look pretty good and have at least 9% ownership right now between like nine and 20. And we generally don't see that,
1: you know, and, and Kyle, let's, let's go ahead and dive right into this. Um, I actually want to start with Ezekiel Elliott and feel free to work your way around this, the top of the position from these, you know, 7K and up guys. We've got a few of them this week. Christian McCaffrey's up there, but he's not expected to play. With Ezekiel Elliott, it was it was really tough to watch the other day. Matt and I broke down the, the Monday night games and talked about how, you know, Andy Dalton, that super cheap uh, price point could be viable. Did he play well? No. Nobody's going to pretend that he played great. But there was a dropped touchdown and consecutive f- consecutive fumbles from Ezekiel Elliott on back-to-back drives. CeeDee Lamb clearly got interfered with, fell o- got pushed over, uh, and that turned into an interception. But Ezekiel Elliott's two fumbles were so costly. And then you saw Tony Pollard come in and essentially get almost a full drive until they finally established a run, as the co- uh, color commentator said, and said, hey, great time to bring Zeke back in, besides the point. Does Ezekiel Elliott continue to carry or shoulder the same workload in a game where they might finally not be playing from behind? Because they've played from behind in it, I think I feel like every single game this season they've played from behind in the second half or the first half up until the fourth quarter. Now you get a matchup against Washington. Um, Zeke still had twenty three total looks last week because he was targeted eleven times. But they can't get him going on the ground because the offensive line is so banged up and they can't they can't play games without being down by multiple scores. So let's start with Elliot, your take to start off the week.
3: Yeah, so one, this kind of reminds me of the Chris Carson situation from last year, I believe. He started fumbling the ball through the first, like, six or seven weeks at an incredible clip. But then towards the second half of the year, he mostly he regressed to an average fumble rate, and he got a lot of work, and that's when we finally saw him also getting work as a pass catcher. Ezekiel Elliott already has that, but I think it's important to just know that, like, While maybe you could argue that some players fumble at higher rates, like I think Adrian Peterson was that guy before my time. Hardly remember him. Only remember him over the age of 30. But Adrian Peterson is is a guy who fumbled more than average, I believe. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, maybe you can make that argument for. But they're such random events. They're the drops of of running backs, essentially. They're such random events. Volume would predict them more so than anything else. I don't think we're going to see a two-fumble game from Zeke probably for the rest of the year. Probably not versus Washington. Because of that, yeah, I don't think we see much Tony Pollard again going forward. And like you said, finally, finally a spot where we could potentially, I don't want to get too out over my skis on Dallas. They look terrible. We could potentially see them have a lead through most of a football game, which is exceedingly rare for them. So (laughs) I think versus Washington, yeah, they're bad and and Andy Dalton's bad. But yeah, Washington is the spot where he'd bounce back. Does that make me fall in love with him? Eh, Not necessarily. I actually kind of like – At a similar price point. A guy like Alvin Kamara, not so much Derrick Henry, but even going down to Aaron Jones.
1: Not that I think Zeke is a bad play. It's just, I kind of like Alvin Kamara more. Okay. Yeah. And Sean says in chat, Pollard always handles a series in the first half to give Zeke a break. Sure. Like we know he gets worked in, but you can't really overstate the fact that it was immediately after Zeke's second fumble. Uh, Does that mean anything? Not necessarily, but we have to talk about it. Uh, But ultimately Matt, and Kyle said, we're hoping that they can finally get out to a lead, but they were down two scores to the Giants just a couple weeks ago. I don't see a spot where, where Kyle Allen and the and the uh, football team really get out to an early start, but I'm not going to pretend they can't. The, the positive thing is if they do, Zeke is still going to be featured in the passing game. So right now he's coming in around 14% ownership. Assuming it stays close to that throughout the week, uh, how do you approach somebody like him and what are you doing with the guys around him like Kamara and Aaron Jones and Kareem Hunt, all of whom are one, two, and three at the position?
2: I think you can certainly play Zeke. You guys have been talking about the opportunity. It's not going anywhere, even in negative game script. He still is the target share. It's fantastic. So you think the football team gets up on this game. Zeke is still pretty secure. You are worried about efficiency, but volume is what I'm more concerned with. Uh, I think the main problem with Zeke, of course, is opportunity cost with an expensive runner. You get players with similar touch counts at a cheaper price. Aaron Jones is in a much, much better matchup against arguably the worst run defense in football. And if you look at yards allowed per attempt, the Houston Texans are actually allowing the most yards per attempt to opposing rushers this year. Aaron Jones is still averaging over 20 touches a game himself, despite being in more of what we would call a timeshare. But they just use their running back so much that Jones can still get over 20 touches per game in that situation. You also have, if you want to talk like, You say Ezekiel Elliott finally getting into a good matchup. Well, we have the same thing with Kareem Hunt, and he's 6,800 on DraftKings. So those are two cheaper running backs with, I think, similar touch projections, also in good matchups. So I think you can just make the argument based on opportunity cost that maybe Zeke getting away from him is a good idea.
1: All right. Yeah, and obviously the offensive line for for Dallas isn't going to do that many favors. If Zeke comes in as, like, the fourth or fifth highest running back, I'm probably going back to that well, whether I want to or not. Someone mentioned that he's one of the most overrated players in the league. Look, maybe that's true, but it doesn't really matter if the volume is going to be there. I I kind of don't care. Um, Kyle, what are you doing with the Kamara's and the Aaron Jones and the Kareem Hunts uh, of this world?
3: Yeah, I think it sounds like Matt and I are kind of on the, the same wavelength where like Zeke's volume is good and the spot is good, but he's expensive. He's modestly popular. There are spots like Kareem Hunt where you could potentially get, you know, the same or similar amounts of volume. We've basically seen like Dearness Johnson and uh, a few other backs like get in some work. But specifically as a receiver, I believe Hunt has out targeted his backups seven to two. So he's he's essentially a three down back. He's probably seeing just as much work as Zeke is sans a few rushing attempts. But who knows if Tony Pollard gets in but he's significantly cheaper. I think Mike Davis in a spot that I think the Carolina New Orleans game is going to be a bit under So I'm trying to attack all pieces of this game up until last week was basically Christian McCaffrey. light. like I'm still going to lean on a larger sample of weeks where he gets used like Christian McCaffrey. You could definitely say he's less talented, but like you said, I really do not care about a running backs talent. If we're going to see them get eight targets and 15 carries in a game, if we're going to see Zeke get 20 carries and 11 targets in a game, I don't care if you think he's overpaid or underpaid. I don't care if you think Christian McCaffrey is as good as Mike Davis or if Mike Davis is a better version. I truly don't care. I want volume at 6,600. Mike Davis, you know, he gives you Aaron Jones level. He gives you, you know, Zeke level as a pass catcher and a little bit less as a runner but at a cheaper price. So I don't mind paying down, especially off Zeke, especially off of Henry. Alvin Kamara is maybe the one exception where I do think he's the guy worth paying up. And that's probably mostly a product of, I think Carolina New Orleans is one of the games I'm going to be talking about a lot on the show.
1: Kyle, what are your thoughts on someone like James Conner? He's priced in that same range um, as, you know, he's priced in the same range as Kareem Hunt. Uh, he's not too much, or he's not much less expensive than Aaron Jones. He's a, he's a hundred dollars more expensive than, than Mike Davis. He's right in that, up mid upper six k range with a lot of other talented backs. I'm you. You said the Carolina New Orleans game looks on their own right now. I agree. I think the Tennessee Pittsburgh game and, and wait till we get to some of these Pittsburgh receivers. I think that game uh, is on their own as well with a 51 plus point total. The Titans uh, games averaging north of 60 total points this season or sorry since week two. There's there's a lot going on there. And James Conner's coming off a 20-carry game. Now, he was targeted only once in that one, but it was a monster blowout. There was really zero need to get the running backs involved heavily as pass catchers. He's probably going to see three, four, five targets in the passing game um, in what could actually be a relatively high-scoring affair. Does James Conner, if his ownership comes in way less than some of these other guys at a similar price, appeal to you at all?
3: Yeah, he appeals – James Conner is like – yeah, he absolutely appeals to me because like you said, he's going to be the lead back in a game where they're favored with a lot of points. Actually, I don't know if they're – they're probably not favorites. They're at Tennessee. Are they? I uh, thought yeah. they
1: were minus – I think I think they were laying one point last time I looked.
3: Pittsburgh is minus two and a half.
1: Okay, two points now. Oh,
3: okay. They're actually more more favored than I thought. So, yeah. I It was one and a half favored.
1: yesterday too, so it's actually yeah, yeah. moving towards Pittsburgh.
3: Yeah, maybe I should be more interested in, in James Conner for that reason. If you're going to be favorites against Tennessee defense that gives up points and their offense also scores points, that's a great game environment to be playing in. He's always the player that like, if I'm building 150, I just don't touch his projection. If he gets in there, he gets in there because I never have a strong stance on him. He gets a lot of carries. He gets a handful of targets, has a 100-yard bonus touchdown upside, but it's not like, like early Mike Davis days where I'm like, guys, this guy is getting so much work, we have to get in on him. Or like Alvin Kamara, I'm like, guys, without Michael Thomas – He's just Michael Thomas-like. I have no strong opinions on James Conner, so he's probably a decent projection. If he comes in under-owned, I might actually try and bump up my ownership to gain extra leverage. He's really just the most middle-of-the-road play. He's in a good spot, though, so I'm sure I'll have some of him. And if he does end up, like, if it shakes out by the end of the week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case,
1: I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: That he is one of the, the good volume, relatively good price and low owned, at that point, I probably will actually have to get myself significantly above the field on him
1: yeah for sure I think we're all sharing similar opinions here but Matt it comes back to what we talked about at the top of the show it I don't think anyone's gonna run away with ownership there were a couple comments in chat that um, that Kamara and Aaron Jones or it might have been Jones and hunt are gonna have exorbitant ownership at the end of the week it's definitely possible but I, Again, you could sit here and be like, James Conner's a great play because of this. Kareem Hunt's a great play because of this. You guys already made that argument. Aaron Jones because of this. Ezekiel Elliott and Kamara because of this. And hell, even Derrick Henry because how many other guys have 25, 30 carry upside? Uh, It's just it's a really, really interesting spot at that 66, 6700 and up range. So um, let's close it out here because all of them are getting a decent amount of ownership. Kind of flat, but a decent amount. Who are your favorite options now from that range?
2: Are we still talking this kind of mid to upper range?
1: Yeah, like above the 66 and up. I say that because they're all some of the highest owned running backs right now, Uh, you know, 10 percent between 10 and 20 percent.
2: So I don't hate getting away from that range. There's a couple of guys that are cheap. But to answer your I'm going to answer your question. Don't worry about it. I still like getting a little bit contrarian in this range. I think if you go to a guy like Joe Mixon, he literally has some of the best volume in football. You're just concerned that he's constantly playing on a team that's an underdog. So what's the scoring potential here? A little bit of run bad for Joe Mixon with Joe Burrow rushing in a touchdown and Giovanni Bernard getting his score last week. Otherwise, we're looking at another massive Joe Mixon game. So I think he's always viable as a pivot Otherwise, in this range, I don't think you can really go wrong. And the only guy I have significant concerns with is maybe, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with Le'Veon Bell potentially playing. Chris Carson has seen a reduced role, so he's 6.4. Those are really the only two guys I think I'm trying to avoid in that
1: range. Yeah, it was some run bad. And remember, Joe Mixon left that game for a little while with that that injury and and, and returned. He only had one carry uh, in the second half of the game, which actually went for a touchdown. Kyle... Other guys that are getting a decent amount of ownership right now, uh, David Johnson, Mike Davis, 13, 13%, Edwards Um, That's it. But you have three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eleven 11 guys projected for 10 plus percent. Um, we can get into, I want to get into some pivots in a little bit, but let me actually flip the page to you, Kyle, with wide receivers. Devontae Adams coming off a rough week. You know, there were ways that that could have turned around. It could have been better, uh, but it wasn't. Uh, one long, I think 25, 30-yard pass could have changed the game up a little bit. But it is price point. You still would have needed more than that. Stephon Diggs coming in at 15%. And then Keenan Allen, assuming he's able to play, is 15% as well. Very high-owned uh, wide receivers can get you into trouble sometimes because you're reliant on, you know, the targets to be there and also for them to catch them with running backs, the volumes a lot more assured and a handoff is a lot more likely to happen uh, and to not be botched. What are you doing at the top right now? Your thoughts on guys like Adams Diggs, Allen, even Tyree kill up there around 15% as well.
3: Yeah. So this happened with, I think both of Deandre Hopkins and Devontae Adams. I know with Deandre Hopkins, like you said, like, Eight targets for DeAndre Hopkins is not bad. I think he went like two for 76 versus Dallas. Like that's a spot you expect him to blow up. And it just didn't happen because the projection on a wide receiver, even like DeAndre Hopkins, and as we saw with Devontae Adams, is quite fragile. So for that reason, 8,200, 7,900 is the split between DeAndre Hopkins being slightly more expensive and DeAndre Adams being a little bit cheaper. But you get a pretty significant ownership discount by going to DeAndre Hopkins, which kind of blows my mind that Seattle, Arizona isn't coming in as the mega chalk because totally it has agree. I, it's just weird. Right. I actually like have already talked about this week, how I thought this would be the chalk spot and how do we get unique when attacking this game? I don't know if I actually need to get unique attacking this game. Apparently playing DeAndre Hopkins over Devontae Adams is modestly unique. So when we're looking at two guys who I think their projections are going to be very similar, both of them are like true dominant alpha Target hog receivers in great spots. Green Bay, Houston, another good spot. Not knocking that, but I think Seattle, and Arizona could be just as good of a spot coming in at lower ownership. So starting up at the top in terms of the most expensive players, I'm just going to say DeAndre Hopkins and Devonte Adams are essentially the same player. You know who who cares? They're both awesome players in awesome spots. I'm just going to take the one that's lower owned. So I think that's probably my lean. Keenan Allen at 6,200. That is very cheap in a very good spot and. 15% ownership doesn't seem like a lot. Maybe you could argue that on the context of this slate, it is a lot because it makes him a top three owned player. I don't know. Like, we talk about getting off of some of these more fragile projections. Going to be tough to get off Keenan Allen for me. 6200 is just so cheap. Like, maybe that's in response to, like, the Mike Williams breakout. Obviously, Keenan Allen also busted because he got hurt with back spasms in, uh, I think it was the New Orleans game. I don't care, man. I'm going right back to Keenan Allen. Well, 6,200. Justin Herbert has just like loaded him with targets up until he got hurt. He should be healthy. I I don't think there's any reason to expect he doesn't play yet. They said it was a fairly minor injury. I mean, it was just like back tightness, essentially. I'm going back to the well in Keenan
1: Allen. 31.1% target share, second highest in the league this year. Uh, And Matt makes a point, or Kyle makes a point, Matt, that you would think you have to get unique trying to stack Arizona, Seattle, maybe a couple of other games, but with all of the great options, that game might have, you know, that stack might have aggregate ownership of like 9%. And maybe we start, maybe we have to start considering this. It's something that you know, I just kind of thought of now. Uh, maybe we're going to see more of this going through the rest of the season, and it won't be the exception to the rule for this reason. We're going to have so many games with monster totals uh, Detroit, Atlanta, 56 and a half point total. Green Bay, Houston, 56. Uh, Seattle, Arizona, 56. Um, Pittsburgh, even Tennessee, 51 and a half. 51 for Cleveland, uh, Cincinnati. 51 for New Orleans, uh, Carolina. And then you've got only two games on this entire slate that are under 48. So, Maybe that maybe this is something that we should be getting used to and begin seeing a trend that's going to open up spots like Car- uh, the Seattle and Arizona where we don't have to go insane and in roster and the Isabella and guys that we really don't have any confidence in.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, everything's an adjustment. I don't I don't think it makes those games any better of a place because we're seeing an adjustment league wide. It's you know, you still want to target your stacks in your high total games. It's now just the ceiling total is higher overall. There's still games I think that will come in lower owned that have the potential to hit. Like last week, for example, that Tennessee game goes over 70 points total and there's not another game that really approaches it. That's the game you need to stack. So there's always going to be situations like that. And I think the overall higher scoring context of the NFL just needs to be taken into consideration. You know, it's not that different. We still want to target high total games. They're just higher total now.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. What are your thoughts at wide receiver? Again, pretty flat distribution of ownership here. There's a bunch of guys above ten percent, nobody above seventeen.
2: Well, we have Michael Thomas at five point eight, and I think that says it all.
1: Oh, okay. That's yeah. that's just yes. that's your like, analysis. Michael Thomas just, is you at know, that's
2: all point. you need.
3: Michael Thomas that was the analysis on Julio Jones ownership. last week. That was the analysis on Julio Jones last week. You had Julio Jones at cheap and sub ten percent ownership. That's all you need. I love this argument for Michael Thomas. That's all you it's need true. to know.
1: It's true. Carol. Matt does, Matt does this thing sometimes though, where he'll finish a sentence, but he finishes a sentence and it sounds like he's continuing his sentence. So, uh, see Kyle's like, "Kyle knows what I mean. So sometimes I get it. I'm, I'm like, all right, keep going. And then, okay, well, he's done. Um, continue Matt. If you were planning to continue. Yeah. So,
2: I mean, the, the matchup doesn't appear to be good. This Carolina secondary, which we thought was going to be the worst secondary in football has actually been pretty good. Their defense hasn't been bad overall and they're playing slow. So there's certainly reasons that you can poke holes in Michael Thomas, especially with the opportunity cost given Adams and DeAndre Hopkins in the same range, but this is the cheapest we've really seen Michael Thomas in, I don't know, a year and a half. And he's finally healthy. He was supposed to play in the, in the previous game. And of course he's only scratched because he punched his teammate.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so we're told. Yeah. I, it, it, it's, pretty remarkable that he's coming in so low and it's it's crazy because kyle goes to deandre hopkins with lower ownership than adams and then uh, you can essentially one up that with hey yeah but what about michael thomas at five percent uh would i be surprised by the end of the week if all three of these guys come in around like 12 13 percent no but that's still not that high you know for hopkins for adams for for thomas it's really not that high for any of them Kyle, what about Calvin Ridley, though? Last week, it was obviously an explosive game, 130-plus yards, two scores from Julio Jones in his return to the gridiron. But Calvin Ridley still had a serviceable game, right? It wasn't what you wanted. You'd much rather have had Julio. But six for 61 and a score, seven targets, uh, had an eight-yard rushing uh, a rush as well. He was still involved. It was still okay. And we know that he still has immense blow-up potential, easy to score potential, just like Julio does any week. But now you've got that price point really in the same family as Thomas and Adams. And sure, below Hopkins, but he's the fourth highest-priced receiver on DraftKings.
3: Yeah, that's kind of I, – I, you're talking about the things that I'm thinking about. It's kind of the issue with him where I can pay 300 more for Michael Thomas. I can pay a little less to get Julio Jones. I can pay a lot less to get Keenan Allen, a little more for Devontae Adams.
1: And Michael Thomas, think, DeAndre Hopkins, and Devontae Adams, none of them play alongside a Julio Jones either. Yeah,
3: exactly. I think – and the problem is – also, when I want to play, let's say, for example, I want to play Devontae Adams. I know that if I'm playing Devontae Adams, I am at least giving a lot of deference to playing Aaron Rodgers in that lineup and a second receiver. Because so I'm pretty much always like there are a few exceptions, but for the most part, double stack and typically running it back. Do I double stack when I play Calvin Ridley with Julio Jones and Matt Ryan it's quite unlikely because 7,300 and 7,100, we essentially need 50-plus points from you know from the game, if not even the team. Like, we saw 40 points, and they both didn't win tournaments because Julio Jones went off, Calvin Ridley not so much. I think Hayden Hurst was in the Millie Maker winning lineup because 15 points from Hayden Hurst was a lot better than, like, 18 or whatever from Calvin Ridley. So it makes the double stack a little more difficult knowing that we have two target monsters that are probably going to struggle to go off in the same game. It's another reason that I'm just meh on playing Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. I think the opportunity cost is, is is quite high with, you know, Stephon Diggs on the slate with Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas. And it does make stacking a bit more difficult. Do I want to go to a Russell Gage or Hayden Hurst? I don't love those plays. I'd much rather go instead of Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, I'd much rather go Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, or go, you know, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, whatever you want to do. The stacking option is really what puts the nail in the coffin that I'm just going to be with or below the field on the Falcons this week.
1: Okay. I remember back in the Roddy White days, it was Roddy or Julio, and then it was Calvin or Julio. Do you guys remember that season, the trade-offs, the the week-to-week season? I know someone in chat's got to remember this. Do do you know what I'm talking about, where it was every other week it was Julio, uh, and then – Was it Ridley? Was it Roddy? I don't even know who it was. But every other week, they traded off big games. I don't know. Maybe we'll get the same thing this week, Matt. But uh, the top of the position is just so loaded with talent that you've got Diggs against the Jets. He should slaughter them in that spot, regardless of Josh Allen's struggles over the last two weeks. You have Julio against Detroit in another very high-scoring projected affair. Metcalf against Arizona. I do want to ask you about him, though, because, you know, against Minnesota, we saw his target count really continued or really start to climb late in that game. And once they, man, once they got down in that goal to go situation, Wilson locked in on DK Metcalf. It was really a sight to behold. The guy's a freak of nature, particularly in the, in the end zone. But now similar to Ridley, you're paying a premium on Metcalf. You're paying a premium on digs. These guys are both in games where they should be able to put up monster numbers Diggs is projected for the second highest ownership at the position and Metcalf, you've got to come down to a a sub 10% spot where he's coming in at 7%. Is that projected lower ownership worth enough to you to pay north of 7,000 for him against Arizona?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely willing to pay for Metcalf. There's, I think part of the issue with Metcalf and Tyler Lockett for that matter is just, just how fragile their target shares are because they're not in a fast offense and they're living purely on efficiency. They're not even, I mean, they're still a fairly pass-heavy offense, but right now they're 28th in plays per game, and they're only 23rd in seconds per play. So if this team gets up and they take a run-heavy approach, you're not going to see a ceiling game for Metcalf. Even in the last four games, Metcalf has target counts of six, eight, six, and 11. So his most recent Greek game, fantastic, but he has two sixes mixed in there where if he doesn't catch a big play for you, which he does a lot, but if he doesn't, he likely bust your lineup. And we've seen that with Lockett recently. Lockett had the hot start his most recent games, we look eight targets, 13 targets, and then four and five people were heavy on lock at those weeks. He's the one that busted your lineup. So really fragile targets in Seattle. I think you just have to know that going in, if you're going to play them.
1: Yeah, no question. Um, Kyle, if we're taking a look at any of these other high end guys, we're going to get to our pivots momentarily. Uh, At tight end, there really isn't much, right? And I don't really even like to talk about chalk too often at at, at this spot because it's such a bad position that sometimes you're going to get someone paying a premium for Travis Kelsey. And this week it looks like he will be really the only chalky tight end 18% we've got him projected for right now. We've got Kittle around 10%. These guys are $200 separated on DraftKings at 6,300 and 6,500 respectively. But, um, Everything could change if Keenan Allen doesn't play, and then Hunter Henry might be the chalkiest play on the slate. There's a lot of things that could happen here, but uh, I, I don't generally like to spend a whole lot of time talking chalk at the.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
1: Usually, there's no one that's insanely popular at, at, at any tier, really.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. We've seen this pretty much every week when we have one or two of the, of the stud premium tight ends. They end up being fairly popular, and the rest is quite flat. And even then, like 10% ownership for Kittle is really not that much different than 8.4 for Hunter Henry. It's really Travis Kelsey and then the rest. I think you could leverage that with uh, Tyreek Hill, who's surprisingly cheap, 6,400. And that does come off the back of Travis Kelsey scoring all the touchdowns in terms of the receiving touchdowns. Tyreek Hill had like, I think it was like three catches for 20 yards last week. I get that he probably, like a lot of these other guys, because he's not going to see a ton of targets. He builds his fantasy points off of air yards. is fragile, but maybe he offers you a little bit of leverage off of Travis Kelsey, and then you can pivot down. I don't have any strong takes i think maybe logan thomas punt he finally scored last week but it wasn't on a ton of volume i think i'm fine living in this not joni smith we're not doing joni smith but living in this eric ebron hunter henry potentially like tj hawkinson tier of guys i'm not sure i'm confident in fading travis kelsey but uh you know you could potentially do it with like a tyree kill in the game environment versus denver eh, I, i'm not sure how much i want to target teams playing Denver just because what is Denver possibly going to do against a Kansas city defense that continues to impress?
1: Yeah. And Matt, it's a lot, like we talked about on Monday where it's, sorry, it's a lot different than than our discussion on Monday with a two game slate where Travis Kelsey was far and away the best option at the position. And we said, you know, if you do take that risk and fade him, you are hoping that he doesn't have even 15 could crush you. Now depends if you had guys like, was it, um, I forget who else. Someone else had a decent game, but it was essentially all Travis Kelsey. Eleven game slate. It's a little bit different. His price isn't as egregious, but how much do? You, how much weight do you put in the fact that uh, Denver defensively is actually very good in both phases of the game? And are you willing to get away from Travis Kelsey here, or would you consider him your favorite tight end from an ownership and pricing perspective?
2: I mean, you consider it a little bit, but he's still uh, like Denver does not have the personnel to stack up with Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, even with Sammy Watkins out, they're just not going to be able to contain the Chiefs. So they'll have to pick their battles. Travis Kelsey should get his. I think just the question on this slate is, can anyone overtake Travis Kelsey? We know George Kittle certainly can. I think there's a reasonable argument for a guy like Hunter Henry. And then outside of that, I think you're just looking for the cheapest volume you can possibly get, like maybe Kelsey has a six catch 60 yard game, no score. And he puts up 12 points and that's fine. But you know, a guy like Jordan Akins goes two thirty in a score and they're a similar, at least score overall, but the price difference would allow you with a guy like, I don't know, Jordan Akins to get you up somewhere else and hopefully make up that difference in your lineup. So I think you need relatively low scoring week from the tight end position. If you're going to fade these top guys at the top.
1: All right, let's talk some pivots here before we do. Uh, and we'll talk our stacks as well. There's no real chalky stacks right now, though. But I got a couple low on ones that I really like. Uh, before we do, though, for you guys that are missing out on that midday action that we had, I mean, look, the whole pandemic uh, shit has been horrible and, and 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 miserable from a sports perspective when it was March through through june and we didn't really have anything you know mid early june we had golf and and all that but for a while we had nothing i mean life was a whole lot different and not just for sports i mean to minimize nothing here so understand that much but now after having several months of basketball every single day uh and and baseball during the day and all of this great stuff and then football on the weekends it's gone but there is still soccer you've got champions league soccer and we've got projections that are going to help you win it's that simple and what we're doing now is if you use the promo code all one word champions league you get $2 weekly subscription for the soccer projections champions league uh, all of our soccer projections and the premium slack chat so it's $2 if you want to jump in on that for the week check it out and still get some midday afternoon action because who doesn't want that if you want to check out everything else we've got $3.95 Uh, express packages, all of the showdown content is now included from the ownership to the projections to the top player rankings or the top player tool, the rankings, all of that great stuff. All of our premium showdown stuff uh, is available. And, you know, you're getting three showdown slates every single week. So one week of that, just the showdown games are going to pay for themselves. That's on top of the other stuff we have, the rankings and everything else included in that uh, express pass. But if you want to take it one step further, you can go with Just the full NFL package, weekly, monthly, or annual. Um, Of course, that's projections, ownership, all of that. Top stack tool created by Alex Baker himself, used by Alex Baker. You know him as Osimo. You might know him as the number one ranked DFS player in the world. Uh, These are his real tools that he uses and puts up on the site for us to use and become better players. Uh, You could do it all access to PGA, MMA, basketball, baseball, NASCAR, UFC, everything, all included all the projections, the ownership, everything I've talked about. If these sites have contests, we have premium content for it. So you can do that. You can do weekly, monthly, annual, whatever you want. We've got something that fits everybody's budget. Go to awesomemode.com slash join. Check it out today. And if you have questions about the packages, I'm happy to answer them. Go to uh, you, uh, Twitter. Hit me up. My DMs are open at Laufey underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. You got to follow me though, because I mean, why not? And while you're at it, follow Matt at Matt underscore Gaj jesky and kyle at kyle tweets here go to awesome.com just slash join check it out you have questions hit us up and if you do decide to join the community to join the family be sure to jump into our premium slack chat we got tons of people talking dfs and sports betting and, and everything around the clock so it's a great place to be hope to see you over there and uh yeah do it after the show check it out even if you're not ready you can see what we've got all right let's talk about some pivots here Matt, I, I look at the, the running back position and I said to you right before we started that if this one if this one spot holds, even within a 5% range, I'll be baffled by it. And that is none other than Justin Jackson. Last week he easily snapped Joshua Kelly. He looked far more efficient on the ground. Kelly did have some of those red zone opportunities, goal to go spots that I would have liked Jackson to have. But aside from that, he ran more routes than Joshua Kelly and just all in all looked like the far better rusher. That's objective or that's subjective, right? I thought he looked like a much better rusher, Um, but all in all six targets, 21 total opportunities, 15 attempts. Justin Jackson's coming in at sub 5% right now. If that stands, it's insane.
2: Well, Laffy, there's some good data from college numbers to back up every, everything you're saying about oh, Joshua sure. Kelly being a vanilla runner. Because if you look at all the running backs drafted in this class, he was bottom five in Morse force missed tackles per attempt and yards created per attempt. So even at the college ranks, this isn't a guy that was really creating anything on his own. So seeing an explosive athlete like Justin Jackson come in and just run around him makes a lot of sense. And we do love what Justin Jackson saw. I think you can target Jackson even in a timeshare. So, say you think that Joshua Kelly gets, I don't know, 30, 40% of the work here. This LA team is so fast, they're fourth in place per game, that there's still opportunity for two backs. Last week alone, Justin Jackson, 20 opportunities. Joshua Kelly, 12 opportunities. At 4,900 against this Jacksonville defense, there should be opportunities for both. And if Justin Jackson's going to take 60, 70%, I think you're certainly interested at that price. I do not think the ownership holds. I'm with you. I think it probably rises closer to 10, 12 by the end
1: of the week. Okay. Kyle, your thoughts on Jackson, even if he does come up to that, you know, nine to 11, 12% range, just knowing that the matchup is sterling and, you know, the opportunities were absolutely there last time. I will say the last thing though, is that he doesn't have a single rushing attempt inside the five yard line this season. That's my one concern
3: yeah so we saw basically joshua kelly was running ahead of him as that rb2 role behind austin eckler and it completely flipped in the new orleans game and i think people are going to really anchor onto the fact that we saw a decent amount of joshua kelly but that could just be that that's like the the running back two role is how they wanted him to be regardless of the like they have a very split role of austin eckler plays this job joshua kelly played that job justin jackson steps in and takes over potentially austin eckler's job So I do think there is like a ton of possibility that people are just too anchored onto their Joshua Kelly love or just from the the prior weeks of seeing more of Joshua Kelly than Justin Jackson. But we know that that could very well not be the case. So I guess this is what I'm saying is I'm actually not sure that we see that ownership rise. And if it doesn't rise, oh, baby, I'm playing so much Justin Jackson. And if it does rise, I'm probably still fairly confident in my Justin Jackson plays because he's not going to top much more than like 10, 12 percent. We'll still have some more popular plays. One play that's kind of similar in that sense that I'm a little surprised right now at our ownership is Kenyon Drake. No, I've got one, Kenyon Drake. Swift is a good one, too, though. I think there are a lot of, like, committee backs that people are afraid to play, but they're in relatively good spots. I like like Kenyon Drake. I think Swift falls in that similar role where, no, there are parts of their game that are lacking. We're going to see Adrian Peterson for Swift. We're going to see Chase Edmonds as a pass catcher who kind of, you know, he ends up running in that role over Kenyon Drake. But Kenyon Drake has seen two-thirds of the carries. We know on this offense they have a lot of touchdown potential, and he's been fairly explosive. We saw that. He scored in, I think, week one, and he finally ended his scoring drought again, what, two nights ago now or whatever. He's just getting so many carries on a team that has a quarterback that can draw defenders away with his legs on a team that can put up points in a game that should feature a ton of points. So I think in a similar role to DeAndre Swift in the sense of, no, they're not a, a fide bell cow back, but the ownership and the price – more than reflect that. They overcorrect for that. And that's why I'm buying into these situations. Swift is another great example.
1: I've got to go to you, Matt, and follow up on, on Kyle's take because you want to talk about a polarizing player right now from a fantasy standpoint. Look no further than Kenyon Drake. You're going to have a lot of people making the argument that it was Dallas. And to be fair, I, made the, I tweeted the other day. I said, just so we're clear, this does not make him good or this does not mean that he's good. I'm not saying he's bad, right? I'm, I'm honestly not. What I'm saying is I am at least tempering expectations in a matchup against Dallas where he had 19 for 95, which is fine prior to that 60 plus 69 yard run where Dallas just literally gave up at the end of the game. Uh, So ultimately, everything Kyle says is, 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 is valid. He's still getting all of the work. And I guess that's all that matters. And his price has come down below 5K. So volume and opportunity over talent, I guess, is still relevant here when it comes to Kenyon Drake.
2: Yeah. I've been losing a lot of money based on this opportunity throughout the year (laughs) because he has been averaging over 18 touches per game. And that's not a new thing. It's been very consistent. He just lacks a role in the past game. So maybe you want to call him a poor man's Derrick Henry, because that's basically the role he's playing. And he finally had those touchdowns come through. It wasn't a two game slate where I thought he projected a little bit worse than Ezekiel Elliott and Clyde Edwards Slayer, but we knew that was in his range of outcomes and he just missed the pricing bump this week. So 4,800, he's going to be a good value. I I have a question for you both though. So Someone I've had my eye on as a low on pivot at the running back position is Jarek McKinnon. And it seems that Jermichael Hasty's kind of been the hot name on waiver wires. You know, this guy's an undrafted free agent coming out of Baylor where he was in a timeshare with two other running backs who don't really have any NFL uh, pedigree. But people want to seem to anoint this guy as, I don't know, the next man up with Raheem Mostert out. We already saw Jarek McKinnon play this role. He had 18 touches and 22 touches in two games where Raheem Mostert, was out how do you see this breaking down and do you think jarek is potentially a pivot at
3: that range i kind of think he is kyle yeah i agree with we saw like it was essentially the jarek mckinnon show jeff wilson especially in the second game the first game that jarek mckinnon played where he was you know supposedly going to operate as the bell cow back Jeff Wilson got two scores, but I believe Jared McKinnon actually got hurt in that game and did ended up coming back and being fine. But that's probably why we saw a lot of, of Jeff Wilson. I think we saw in their next game, their game plan was for Jared McKinnon to be essentially a three down back or close enough to a three down back. I'm not really buying any more than Jermichael hasty playing a strictly backup or backup plus role. We're short eight, nine carries Jared McKinnon has injury history and he's small but we saw a handful of weeks ago that the role they want him to play is it's Kareem hunt. Like very right? short, sure, you'll get some Dearness Johnson carries, whatever, but it is good enough at his ownership and at his price. that I actually think, yeah, that's a very sharp pivot on this slate.
1: Okay. So let's, let's stay on the this, this subject of running back for a minute, uh, because if there's any spot where you could see some heavier chalk, it's probably here, but also some guys that are getting far less ownership than I initially suspected Kyle, DeAndre Swift who I thought I actually thought that's who you were talking about but it's tough to say because there's a lot of guys in a a similar price range and a similar ownership tier uh DeAndre Swift coming off easily his best game as a pro it's not even close he carried the ball 14 times uh he's not running a ton of routes but he's being targeted on like almost a third of the routes that he runs uh and while Adrian Peterson's still out out carried him 15 to 14 swift was by far the better rusher salvetri mentioned on yesterday's first look show that just fantasy points per snap deandre swift is basically doubling up adrian peterson this year i i want to kind of tamp down expectations as far as does this mean deandre swift immediately becomes the go-to guy he's the bell cow back week seven is where it starts against um against who do they even play <laughs>
3: Uh, They have a good one versus Atlanta, Atlanta, right? right?
1: They got Atlanta against Atlanta. I want to believe that's the case. And if you're getting him at such low ownership, I'm willing to roll the dice on that. But Swift to me is one of the few spots this week where ownership really means a lot to me. If he's 3%, I could see myself getting there. If Swift is coming in in double digits and everyone feels like this is his week after last week and they're trying to jump on that wave, that's going to have me bucking this trend a little bit
3: yeah I mean you laid out the exact argument for him is that he's going to be low owned do I have any idea if if he comes in and just completely out like phases out Adrian Peterson no and I would say probably not like you said he actually got fewer carries one fewer carry to be specific than Adrian Peterson do I think he comes in and completely shuts down Adrian Peterson they're giving Swift 20 carries a game No, but do I think we could continually see Adrian Peterson to be scaled back? That is absolutely possible. It's absolutely possible that 15, 16 carries in a handful of targets is the new weekly projection for DeAndre Swift. If it was high owned, I would say that is a very fragile projection that I want to fade because I know people can go like they can go over the field on that and just or they can be just way too high on him, given what we know, which is very little. I would say you have such a high chance of busting. I'm going to fade you. This is the opposite scenario where he does have a very solid chance of having a crazy ceiling game many times from here on out because he could just be he looks a lot better than Adrian Peterson. So it's simply an ownership game where with him, the same thing with Justin Jackson, the same thing with Kenyon Drake. These guys all have potential for very big weeks at very low prices, yet no one seems to recognize that maybe with the exception of Kenyon Drake, 9% ownership is still outside the top 10, might even be outside the top 15, somewhere in there. Justin Jackson and DeAndre Swift perfectly fill that role where they're not awfully popular, they're incredibly cheap, and they have a ton of touch upside because the situation is just so ambiguous.
1: Yeah, and Big D says, don't chase his performance versus Jacksonville. Doesn't anyone learn not to chase big weeks in DFS? No, everyone's learned that. Exactly. That's kind of the thing, Matt, is like if nobody goes after him thinking that he can continue to get more fun – They drafted DeAndre Swift in the second round when they just drafted a second round running back two years prior in Curry and Johnson. Obviously, at some point, they're going to start using it. I think we're all agreeing that we don't know if it's going to be this week, but if everybody else is saying it's not going to be this week and it's a fluke and go back to the passing game, even though Matt Ryan's attempting only 30 passes per game despite playing behind in half of them, then yeah, I have some interest.
2: I don't have a lot of interest in him. And I mean, it more comes down to, I know he's going to be in a timeshare to some degree, whether it's 70, 30 or more the 40, 30, 30 that it's been the entire year because that's basically what it was last week. Even in this breakout game, people like to say, I mean, I think you can just do better with targeting running backs that have full time workloads. It's like, I have to one predict that he's going to be on the field, which I can't do. And then I have to predict he's going to be well when he's on the field. So anytime I can just take away one of those extra little predictions, I'm going to try to, there's always the argument in large field tournaments. If he's literally unowned, sure, play him in your game stacks. But outside of that, I don't think I'm going to have any of Deandre Swift.
1: Fair enough. I'm fine with either explanation to this, but if he comes in at 3%, uh, you know, this, yeah, then go crazy.
2: A- play anyone at 3%. Exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Plus I just think he's easily the most talented back on that Ross. Is it, is there any question though, regardless of what's going to happen, is there any question that he should probably be getting the bulk of work in that backfield? Not to say he will, but that he should be.
2: No, it's like every single like situation where we have young players that were drafted highly that should be playing, like Antonio Gibson, like yeah. uh, just <laughs> Justin Jefferson, week one, week two. Like they put him on the field week three. The guy's the best receiver on the team. It's like I don't know what these coaching staffs are doing.
1: So Kyle. Before we go to wide receivers and then our stacks here, you I'm paraphrasing you, but on Twitter yesterday, uh, you did a, a Roto really? World show and you quote tweeted something to the extent of uh, if Gibson doesn't go off this week, we riot. It might be an untimely thing to say, given the, <laughs> this time, but I agree that this is a really interesting spot for Antonio Gibson, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Against the Dallas team that just made Kenyon Drake look like Barry Sanders, made De'Ernest Johnson look like Ladainian Tomlinson, and has essentially just caved on every opportunity they've had to stop opposing rushers, whether they're good or bad.
3: Yeah, I, I said that kind of in jest because I don't think it's going to happen. I said I said specifically if he doesn't get twenty carries and ten targets, that's obviously not going to happen because they they really want to use J.D. McKissick. Do I know why they want to use him? My only lean is that he is, or at least heading into last week, he was like a top five graded pass blocker, which is cool. That's really neat. I don't care for fantasy, but it does make me think that that's probably why they're getting him in specifically on two minute drills when they're playing fast. They've used a lot of JD McKissick. So we're not seeing a ton of routes from Antonio Gibson and even McKissick gets some carry. So I I say that because I want it to happen, but I think I am on the side of, like Matt saying, DeAndre Swift, he's just not probably going to get a ton of work. I fall very much on that side with Antonio Gibson, where why aren't they giving him more touches? I don't know, but we can't assume rational coaching that a young, talented player like Antonio Gibson just plays over JD McKissick just because we like him more and because he probably is better. We just can't assume that's going to happen. And when you play for Washington, I don't think you have the upside that a guy like DeAndre Swift does in a game that's actually exciting I get like I get the defense is bad, but I just don't uh, I'm not going to lean too heavily on defense when I know that we're not going to see a ton of Antonio Gibson, or at least I strongly think that way.
1: I want to disagree with you badly, but I because I, <laughs> I, 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 I feel like if there was ever a spot for Gibson, right, this would be it. It just hasn't been there. And then McKissick getting worked in more on the ground. He's being targeted at times. It's tough. Anyway, Matt, is there anyone else at the running back position that right now is getting particularly low ownership that you want to hit on?
2: I don't think so. I think we got everyone that Justin Jackson's the Jarek McKinnon was really the guy I wanted to highlight. And I, I think he'll be mm-hmm. a polarizing one just with the uh, strange Jermichael Hasty hype coming in this week. Not sure where it's coming from
3: it's like one camp report that he was having a good camp and like I get as like a 25th round best ball flyer, but uh, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I don't you know. Really he couldn't
2: separate himself from um, Tristan Ebner. Do you know who that is? <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He, he's in a three-way timeshare at Baylor.
3: Anyway, sorry. So I like Derek <laughs> McKinnon. Our okay. resident college football DF expert just comes in with a hammer.
1: Yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. Let's talk about wide receivers. Hey, guys, if you're not subscribed to the channel yet, uh, go ahead and click that subscribe. If you don't like it, all you have to do is come back and click unsubscribe. It's very simple. Hell, you don't have to ever watch us again. But if you do like the content we have here, hit that thumbs up. Uh, It's the easiest way to help support us, especially with this YouTube algorithm. It helps us get this free content out to more people, and that's greatly appreciated. But subscribe, hit the notification bell as well if you haven't done so yet. Um, And if you ever want to listen to all of our stuff without having to go on YouTube, maybe you don't have YouTube premium and you don't, you hate the fact that you have to leave your phone open while you're listening. You could just check it out on really any podcast network that, that have podcast, any network that has podcasts available, any platform, sorry, that has podcasts available because uh, we are there and you can listen to all of these shows from YouTube uh, through iTunes or or, or whatever it is. uh, We've got you covered. Okay. Uh, wide receiver let's hit on this quickly because there's not an excessive amount of chalk just a bunch of spread out players here Kyle my two guys I'll just tell you right now would be Deontay Johnson if he plays at four percent Juju's coming in at like one percent his price is down a thousand dollars people are very sour on on Juju Chase Claypool is clearly the talk of the town in Pittsburgh and I understand that but sometimes you have to be different and This is a Pittsburgh team that can open things up. Tennessee, as I mentioned, you've seen them averaging, games averaging 60-plus points over the last four weeks, just massive shootouts, teams going 30-plus on both sides. I think three straight weeks we've seen that. Uh, So if Pittsburgh is going to go largely ignored because it's Claypool and everyone likes him and everyone's sour on Juju and no one knows what's going on with Deontay Johnson, this will be a spot that, that I look to get to. Uh, what about you as far as some low on guys go?
3: Yeah, the ownership on all of these, all of these guys, starting in AJ Brown, is like the highest of the receivers in this game, is at five and a half percent. Going down, you've got yeah, like Juju. No one's playing Chase Claypool even after touchdown last week four touchdowns the week before that. And I guess this is, you, you said it, someone mentioned in the chat that like everyone just plays the best place from last week, our ownership projections, and the results have showed that nobody does that anymore. Everyone is too sharp to an extent that like Christian Kirk, double touchdown coming in at 3% ownership. Like Cause he was targeted what three times. I think it was, I might've only been two. So uh, yeah. I think that's why it's okay to play. The previous good plays of the previous you know breakout games when the volume is there. For me, that is, I guess it's not a previous good play until I don't know, week two or whatever. Deontay Johnson up until week three was just dominating targets in Pittsburgh and he was actually going fairly downfield. Not to not the Juju role where he's like a glorified Christian McCaffrey as receiver, but doesn't have any juice after the catch or something. I like maybe I'm not excited about Juju just because I have been so heavily burned by him this season. It's a defense mechanism. But I think you can get just as good, if not a better, projection from a guy like Chase Claypool, who, despite having back-to-back good games, no one seems to be on. Deontay Johnson was leading the team in targets through three weeks, I believe, yep. as well. Even like he didn't even play hardly in week three; he was still leading the team in targets. Yep. And he was dominating in targets.
1: Double-digit targets in week one and week two, Kyle.
3: Yeah, it was like thirty-four percent targets, thirty-seven percent air yards, off the top of my head. He was a dominant receiver in this offense. And like you said, this game should feature a ton of points. So my preferred side to take is is either Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool or both in Roethlisberger stack. I get the argument with Juju as well though. And his like early career production is so good. AJ Brown just coming in at low owned this game. Like you said, I don't know if I was coming into this show thinking too much about this game. I'm coming out of it thinking a lot about this game. All the Pittsburgh receivers are in play. AJ Brown is a great run back as well.
1: Awesome. Oh yeah. We, If if, seriously, if they're all coming in at like sub 5% in a game that has a 51 and a half point total, and we've seen the Tennessee Titans involved in games that shoot out the big way, even Pittsburgh two weeks ago against Philly and a couple of other times, knowing too, that there are some very good weapons on both sides of this game, regardless of Pittsburgh's strength defensively, I'm all over it. Um, Matt, you know what, while we're at it and we're kind of short on time, let's just do this. The, some of the cheaper owned receivers are going to be involved in the in the lower owned stacks. There aren't really any chalky stacks. So let's close it out with some of our favorite you know, low owned receivers that could be worked into game or team stacks like we just did with Pittsburgh. Yeah, what
2: I like is the LA Chargers side of this Chargers-Jacksonville game. I like Herbert. He's been really efficient through a, a very young career. And I think Mike Williams is a really nice pivot and leverage point off of Justin Jackson, who I think he doesn't have a really high ownership projection right now, but I think it increases throughout the week. And then you get major leverage off a guy like Keenan Allen, who is a top five owned wide receiver on this slate. Mike Williams essentially has two healthy games this year, and he has target counts of nine and eight. That's exceptional volume in an offense that's playing very fast. They're fourth in plays per game, 11th in seconds per play. And they're going up against a defense that can't stop anybody.
1: Slug waffles. <laughs> that's a name. I have YouTube premium, but I leave it open because I like looking at y'all's faces. Thanks, pal. What a nice thing to say. Um, All right. So, Kyle, let's talk about a couple more here before we head out. Right now, as it stands, on a Wednesday, middle of the week, you got Houston, you mentioned, 8.3% quarterback ownership. That's the highest on the slate. And in Kansas City, it's 7%. Chargers at 6.8%. If you look down, you got Pittsburgh at 2.5%. Uh, is there anyone else down here at the bottom that appeals to you, whether it be Dallas, uh, Cleveland, Carolina, New Orleans, all of them at 4% or lower? That's crazy. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So I don't think because there are so many popular, like are popular, there's so many high total games that you need to go to incredibly crazy. I would say if I'm looking to get a little bit weird, a little bit different, I think there are a few spots. Pittsburgh, I think is one of the better spots. I would say, though, both sides of New Orleans, Carolina, maybe not as much Drew Brees. I don't know. I think you could go to either side of this. I think just in terms of the lower owned spots, I really like what I've seen from the the Carolina side specifically. And they haven't been doing it with touchdowns. They're like number 11 in yardage, but they're only, I believe, number 23 in touchdowns. If they're going to keep producing yardage at such a high clip, I do think we see some touchdown regression from this team. And some of it up until like last week was going to Mike Davis as well. So I think the stacking options are clear with Teddy Bridgewater. He's played fairly well. He's got one of the higher completion percentages in the league. And this game has like some sneaky shootout potential. And people really love talking about the Saints defense. They're like the number 28 or something ranked coverage unit by Pro Football Focus. Like they're just not the same team we've seen in recent years. I'm fine with going into that game and getting a lot of players involved.
1: Okay. Well, we appreciate you guys watching. As always, before you head out, hit that thumbs up, hit the subscribe, follow Matt at Matt underscore Gajewski, Kyle at Kyle tweets here, myself at Lafay underscore D. Uh, I don't know why I do it, but the DMs are open. If you have any questions about joining us over at awesomo.com, you can hit me up uh, and I'll definitely get around to answering. So, you know, appreciate you guys hanging out as always. Thanks Jordan for producing, always doing a good job and stick around. We've got plenty of content, well, not actually that much content anymore coming up throughout the day, but we do have, we do have a couple of things to stick around for. Uh, MLB Live Before Lock today. we got the PGA Live Before Lock coming up after that at 8.30 p.m. So later on in the day, we're going to have a lot popping here at youtube.com slash We'll see you back here tomorrow. Matt Savoke and myself, it's the Thursday Marathon Matchup Show right here at awesomo.com.